Portage and Maine. Yes, everyone's favorite topic of conversation is back at the fore because public consultations start today on what the heck we should do with that intersection. Speaking of intersections, there's an interesting proposal to bring a pedestrian scramble to a busy one, Osborne and River in Osborne Village. We check in with that area's city councillor. We had a troubling conversation about youth crime with Inner City Youth Alive. This organization might not host its annual block party because of crime concerns. And during this conversation, they revealed some stunning statistics. And we had lots of fun today talking about feet. We spoke to Canadian Footwear about foot health. And because we were talking about foot health, we asked you about your favorite shoes. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, May 10th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and there are three words that might shatter your peace of mind this morning. I suppose the trigger warning, trigger warning, is in order because, Loren, one of the things we're going to be talking about today again, Portage and Maine. Oh, what's left to say? You'd think we'd talked about it all, but no. As Sarah was outlining in the news, there was a survey you could engage in that went out <clears> a couple of weeks ago. It goes till May 26, where they put up these pictures of what Portage of Maine could look like if they removed the barricades, if they added a overhead sky. It's not a skywalk. What would you call it? Like a circular pedestrian. A donut? Donuts. Yeah, I guess that might be it. There's all sorts of different ideas in that survey. And now, starting today, you can come down and hear more about it. So the first public consultation today from 11 until 2 p.m. in the lobby of our building, 201 Portage Avenue. And then there's another one tomorrow in the Underground Concourse near Scotiabank. These are the first of a series of pop-ups because they want to get people's ideas on Portage and Maine. The idea they do not want to hear right now? Open the, open the intersection <laughs> to pedestrians. That's right. That's not on the agenda. That's not to be discussed. Two councillors did try to bring that up this week, saying that it should be part of consultations. At the very least, we should have a cost estimate of what it would look like to reopen the intersection to pedestrians. That's been put on the back burner until <sighs> fall, which kind of, in my mind, seems counterintuitive. If we're, if we're still going to potentially discuss it, why aren't we discussing all the options together? But, Greg... We're going to hear from the principal planner for the city of Winnipeg just after seven and get his thoughts on what's on the table today and what could be coming to the table later. But it feels like we should talk about it all now. Well, Fringo Star sang about the octopus's garden in the sea. What is that thing that they were going to build that, that you know, one of the options with the with the garden sort of suspended above Portage Avenue? It, you know, I was purposefully clearing my throat with my microphone open, you may have heard me sigh. I'm so tired of this conversation already. What else, like you said, what else can we say? What else can be said? The property owners on this corner are speaking loudly with their actions and their dollars about what they'd like to see. They're trying to invite more people down. The city hasn't done a darn thing with that concourse since the day it opened. I looked it up today just to be sure. February 27th, 1979. They haven't done anything down there. If you go down into the city's part of that concourse, the tile on the floor is exactly the same. The concrete, the lighting, everything, the stucco in the ceiling, exactly the same. And except for the occasional appearance of some five-gallon buckets, that concourse has not changed 
in 44 years. Five-gallon buckets to catch the, catch the water, water for the flooding that happens leaking. because the membrane keeps tearing. Yeah, and, sorry and if that wasn't keeps, clear. No, no. Yeah. I, I get I'm picking up what you're putting down. I think we're picking up the sarcasm. I just think that there's lots we could do with that intersection. Of course there is. To make is. it better. And so the conversation We've been talking about happen. this for 30 years and nothing's happened other but than what the, what, the, what the owners of the buildings have been prepared to do. The city has done – I'm not even going to say what I want to say. I'm not even going to use. Okay, squat is good because I won't get fired for using that word. <laughs> well, now they are, I suppose, taking mm, some action with these public are consultations. They? Well, because they're not talking about pedestrians, that's not action. There's some action happening. Yeah, you know, talk is not action. You're going to have all these consultations, all the reports until they start doing something. Count me skeptical. All right, so that's coming up at 7.05. Like one of those wrecking balls just to start smashing out the barricades? Just take the action yourself, Greg. Just go down there. Just start kicking at them. I woke up in the middle of the night. I can remember the the night that the Berlin Wall started to come down. CNN was on, and I woke up in the middle. What's going on? Yeah, the public just went and took it down. I'm not not promoting the public (laughs) take action in a similar fashion on the barricades because clearly there is no comparison between the division of East and West, East Berlin, West Berlin, East Germany, West Germany. But uh, when people refer to those as Soviet-era barricades, they're bang on, and they're very reminiscent of of the architecture that you would see in the old Soviet Union and in their satellite countries. It, It still exists today, and when you see it, you go, God, is that ugly. So that's at 7.05. We're going to discuss that. And then, uh, but, but one of the things we hope to discuss this morning, Loren, on a similar vein, is an interesting idea that's uh, being floated for Osborne Village as it pertains to pedestrians. Oh, they're going to build an underground uh, pedestrian walkway? Yeah, they're going to put a concourse there, and then they're going to board it all up on above ground. Yeah, it's, it, the irony of on the same day that we're talking about Portage of Maine and what to do with it, there's a, a report uh, that we're working to get our hands on from the Osborne Village biz that involves potentially the idea at River and Osborne, which would be a pretty busy intersection on a slow day, uh, making it a pedestrian scramble, which means the lights would go red for all cars. And when they go red, it's green for pedestrians to go in any direction that you want. Toronto has them. Calgary has them. The one at Toronto is in a huge intersection, uh, Dundas and Young, Young and Dundas. And it works just fine. So what you, that's your area, Brett. That means you could just book it on over to any corner you felt like when it was, when it made sense. Yeah. I I think it makes a lot of sense because it, it really, as far as pedestrian uh, traffic goes that there's always pedestrians crossing the street there. Um, so I, I, I really like this idea. No hovering donut over the, no, no hoverboards that you can take up and then across. No, no, no. Why spend the money? I don't just you know, the, the extra few seconds it might add to your drive. I would imagine hmm. it would actually cut time from your from your drive. And and I, I make this point to suggest that if we were proposing the idea of doing what we've done at Portage and Maine, a anywhere else or in that exact location, if it didn't already exist, we'd be laughing at the idea too. Oh, for I sure, think, right? Yeah. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have a great prize package up for grabs today. We've got four green fees for Toulon, which is a wonderful golf course, and 
four CJOB discount golf cards, all in one prize package. And it has to do with shoes, because at 9.35, we're going to speak to the co-owner of Canadian Footwear, Brian Sharfstein, about foot health. And this just kind of sprang up out of a just a chit-chat Greg and I were having. I was lamenting that my right foot hurts because all my shoes are dead. I got to get some new shoes. The only pair of shoes, oddly enough, that I have purchased since the before times is a new pair of golf shoes. But the rest of my well, shoes of are course. the rest of my shoes are just worn out and beat up. And uh, surprise, surprise, my foot hurts. And I asked you, do you wear the same shoes every single day? Because I try to rotate them, but I don't have which, enough. Which, right, which you're supposed to, right? You're, so, you're not really supposed to wear the same shoes every day. You're supposed to wear something different at least every other day if you can. Yeah. Not only for your feet, but for your shoes. And then you brought up something, some sort of word. We were talking about orthotics. I thought maybe, you know, if you really like the shoes, get some orthotics. You could ex- extend the life of them. And you said you deal with some sort of... <laughs> I am an over-supinator. An over-huh? Supinator. Uh-huh. It means I walk uh, more on the outside of my feet. It sounds like a Foo Fighters song. <laughs> I'm the supinator. Anyway. I wouldn't even try to explain what that means. We'll ask Brian at 9.35. But right now, we want to talk about shoes. Your favorite shoes, the most coveted shoes you ever tried to get or got. Um, Whatever. 204-780-6868. Tell us a story about shoes for a chance to win that prize package. And let's go around the horn here. Why don't we start with Loren McNabb? Oh, man. So I think that the when we talk about shoes, you know, and by the way, I think I'm an oversupinator too. When I wear heels after a, a couple of years, if I have them, they get carved down. Like you can see the carving in the edges of the heel because it's wood often, right? Or metal. And then, then I really am walking on an angle. So it's kind of hilarious. But I think when I think of shoes, I, there's two things. I have a pay, I always like to, when I travel around the to different spots. If I can't find something that's meaningful in terms of like art or other that I like, or, you know, a nice print, I will buy a pair of shoes so that I can then be the ob- obnoxious person who's like, oh, those are great shoes. Thanks. I got them in Paris. You know, like <laughs> I can be that person. Um, but I always think back to grade four. I don't, I'm, nobody else will probably remember these, but they were called jelly shoes. And they're kind of like Crocs, oh, and yeah. they were the coolest. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And we, and I, for some reason, everyone just coveted them and wanting that one of them. And mine were blue. And so when I think back to like, you know, oh, what a great pair of shoes that was. I think of these jelly shoes, which I think were impractical but comfortable. Does anyone else? You just Brett, just me and Brett had the jelly shoes. I didn't have them, but I do remember them. And I'm looking at them now, I, and I'm surprised they they were actually comfortable. I would think they the the, the reverse that they'd be they'd offer zero support. Well, there's zero support, but they were like flimsy, and you slip them right on. You can get them in all sorts of different colors and oh, glitter yeah, and that kind of thing. These. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know when you were a kid, you got that pair of shoes, and you just ah, I'm so cool now. That was that. <laughs> cool jelly shoes. jelly shoes. I forgot about those. Uh, Sarah McCarthy, what about you? I have to go, since it's summer now, with Birkenstocks. I love my Birkenstocks. Uh, They just mold to your feet so well, and they last forever. And, well, hopefully. They have so far. But my grandparents had, like, their pairs for, like, 40 years, if you keep good care of them. For real? Yes. Yes. I love them. They're a longtime brand of sandals, and, yeah. Are they tough to break in? Uh, Yeah, they kind of hurt at first, but then once you're in, you're in and you're set. No pain, no gain. Yeah. 
Poitras was shaking his head as soon as Sarah said Birkenstocks. <laughs> well, we discussed this before I walked in. Well, listen, I loved my uh, Birkenstocks, the cork ones. Mm-hmm. Those are all, those like Birkenstocks are my favorite. I'm, I'm wearing yeah. them right now, but I had to upgrade because, of course, I can't properly take care of something like that. <laughs> I got them wet and ruined them, and now they're like my outdoor shoes. So now I have, and I'm going to take them off right now to show you guys. Go, go. Because I know you're into this. Ew. This is the now the I've advanced to the waterproof rubber Birkenstock, mm-hmm. uh, which is much. Uh, I actually like it better. And is I it don't a Birkenstock? This is a Birkenstock. Yeah, yeah it is. Oh, are Birkenstocks expensive? Like, why do well, they last so yeah. long? They're like they're, it's they're like not 100... inexpensive. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you you got it, there's certain things you got to spend, and shoes are one of them. So don't spend. You spend a little couple of extra bucks, and, Great and you're happier. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, rock ports. 140 bucks for these sandals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why well, the rubber ones a little bit? I think these ones were 110. Yeah, and that, that's another thing. We we sometimes cheap out on shoes. I, I used to like wearing Skechers, not their sneakers. Apparently, their their runners are really good, but I would just buy like casual Skechers shoes just for to go to work or whatever. I'd spend a hundred bucks on these shoes, and and inevitably they would die within a mm-hmm. year. They would just fall apart. So like five years running, I spent a hundred dollars on shoes, and my buddy says, "Why don't you just spend two hundred dollars on a mm-hmm. pair of like Blundstone boots, and they'll last you for ten years." And he was right. They're bulletproof. So. Well, isn't that like the thing, the things that you need the most and use the most, we don't seem to invest on, like your bed? Yeah. Makes mm. you uncomfortable for 15 sure. years. You don't spend money. People wear jeans every other day. And you're like, oh, $100 for these jeans. That's ridiculous. And it's like, what? You expect them to last for years. And your shoes. Why are we all like that? And you go to the restaurant and you'll blow 75 bucks and no yes. problem. What do you think twice about it? Yes. Yep. On an item you're renting for about... 18 hours maximum. (laughs) Mackling, you love shoes. I do. You know, the one pair of shoes that I always come back to, I was telling you about off air. I bought, got them in Vancouver back in 1986, like in the heart of the Don Johnson, Miami Vice era. <laughs> and of course I had those uh, wicker shoes, right? The, yeah. the, the woven shoes. And uh, those were great with a particular outfit that I love to wear the double breasted white blazer and the, and the crisscross check zoot suit pants, the big baggy pants. And, but I had this other pair of shoes. So cool. I called them sort of my Robin Hood boots. They were a gray leather. They were perforated. They were ankle high. I love the way the laces forms. But but one of my grand, my grandfather in Vancouver made fun of me every single time I wore them because of the times then versus the times now. I can't say on the air what he called them, but let's just say it was less than flattering. He questioned my masculinity when I wore these shoes okay, and uh, didn't stop me from wearing them. In fact, it, 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 I probably wore them more and always around him just, just to get into a little bit of back and forth. <laughs> right on, man. And Forte, can you sneak one in? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm a very simple man. So the shoes I'm wearing right now are these black Vans shoes, and I have like four pairs of them. The ones I'm wearing right now are my everyday shoes, the ones that are totally wrecked are my crappy day shoes. <laughs> I've got another pair that are my balcony shoes. They're all the same shoes. Balcony shoes. It's, yeah. And they look exactly the same. Yeah, well, except they're wrecked. And then I have a brand new pair that are in the box, and I only wear those when I'm feeling stylish and I'm, you know, going out for the night. So, uh, <laughs> Your special day shoes. Exactly. Oh, this is occasion. His occasion. occasion. This is hilarious. <laughs> It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and let's just dive right into this here because it's always a hot topic. If you've got some thoughts about ideas that are currently floating around City Hall on different ways to improve 
Portage and Maine. Now is your chance to share them. And you can send them to 780-6868, but today is really about talking to the design team. So this is the first of a series of public engagements. You heard Sarah talk about that in the news run. This one starts at 11, right in the lobby of our building, 201 Portage. And you can talk to the people who have tried to reimagine the intersection. And of course, there are practical things, Greg, like they need to excavate the ground and do major repairs because of the risk of water damage. But there are also beautification ideas like removing the barriers and replacing them with everything from a sky garden to lookout towers and art. Curtis Kowalki is the principal planner for the city of Winnipeg, joins us live on the start. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning. So uh, let's start off with these sessions. What will we hear today and and what will we be able to see in these sessions, uh, in particular this one at 201 Portage today? Yeah, but as a certain, yeah, we're going to we're going to walk people through sort of why we're doing this project, uh, what the objectives are. What we've heard so far from, from stakeholders and from property owners, and, and really lay out some uh, sort of a, a wide range of ideas that, that folks can, can look at and, and react to, um, and give us their feedback on, on what things resonate, uh, what things really sort of seem to fulfill the project objectives, and, and whether we've sort of missed any ideas or, or opportunities that, that they want us to explore. So, you know, one of the things that's in that survey that people can also take part in is the idea that you really wanted to hear from people who either live downtown or work downtown, the people who are part of this intersection. And so what have you heard so far? How many people have responded to the survey? And I'd love to know what the stakeholders' feedback has been, like like the owners at each of the corners of Portage and Maine. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and like I say, the uptake on the survey has been has been great so far. I think we've got sort of thousands of uh, respondents that we're going to have to sift through and and, and see what their uh, what their reactions were. But yeah, generally speaking, uh, you know, the, the stakeholders we have talked to do see the, the intersection as a really uh, important destination. It's got a very high concentration of people that, that, that work in the area, that take transit in the area. Um, more and more residents are, are kind of moving into the area. Um, and they do see it as, as kind of worthy of, of, of some improvements, right? It's, it's very sort of uh, dull and, and quiet and, and, and an intersection that doesn't necessarily feel that safe for pedestrians. Um, so they see lots of opportunities for us to really, um, uh, yeah, address each of those issues and, and then certainly recognize its, its historical significance as well. Why not include the idea to open up the intersection to pedestrians? Uh, this project was was started, uh, you know, under the the uh, uh, idea of respecting the plebiscite. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, it, all the ideas that we're looking at um, are, are kind of intended to be flexible. Um, and, and you know, for example, whatever replaces the barricades in the future uh, could be openable, so that when we have big celebrations like you know a Blue Bombers win, uh, it's much easier to sort of access that space in an accessible way. So, Curtis, in terms of your job, it's one thing for public consultations, one thing for uh, Brett to submit his idea, Loren to submit Loren's idea, but also the city must have an idea of what it thinks will work there based on either what they've seen here or or what they've seen elsewhere. Talk about what that this process looks like uh, aside or in conjunction with this public consultation in what we will eventually see as a, I suspect will be a suggestion or a proposal from the city itself? Well, sure. And you're right. You know, we, we certainly have looked at uh, what things have worked elsewhere and what ideas have been really 
uh, you know, exciting and engaging in, in other cities. And you'll see some of that, uh, you know, in the displays at our at our two events. Um, and so we've tried to be sort of inspired by sort of the best things we've seen elsewhere. Um, but we're really, you know, trying to bring all the best ideas that Winnipeggers themselves have. And we have a really good design team uh, working on this project. Uh, and so you'll see a, a pretty wide range of ideas, some that are, uh, you know, somewhat conventional, bold from kind of other cities and things we've done elsewhere, uh, but also some that are really unique and, and outstanding and, and bold. And, um, and we really want to hear from Winnipeggers kind of where on that spectrum uh, do they think uh, Portage and Maine should fit? So is it about choosing one of those designs that are existing right now in terms of whether it's that Skywalk Garden, uh, you know, uh, the orb, the, the art, or is it about just saying to where I want to go too, too far this way or not too far that way? Like, could this hall change based on the input from the public or are we sticking to these main design ideas we see in that survey? Yeah, these are really sort of intended as, as discussion generators. Um, they're, they're things to react to, and and, uh, and they're certainly not individual options to kind of pick a favorite because the idea is some of these ideas can be mixed and matched. We have some ideas for what you can do with, uh, you know, the space over your head or the things that you can do with the ground plane or, or with, with landscaping, lighting, and, and we can sort of mix very of these, a number of these solutions to create something really custom. Um, so, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's still a lot of design work to do. Um, the final design could end up looking quite different from, from all the options and, and ideas that are presented. Curtis Kowalki, Principal Planner for the City of Winnipeg, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Curtis, thank you very much for this. Thank you. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. One of the lighter things we're discussing today are shoes. Your favorite shoes, your most coveted shoes, because we're talking foot health at 935 with Canadian footwear. And uh, this, one of the all-time classic pieces of footwear, Loren, the cowboy boot. Yeah, so Leah says, my husband has had the same pair of cowboy boots for 15 years and refuses to buy a new pair. They are so so worn down right through the bottom of the (laughs) sole. LOL, she says. Maybe a few golf rounds in Toulon will encourage him to upgrade his shoe choice. I love that he golfs in those boots, too, as an aside. They're just some pairs that you know you just don't want to walk away from because the comfort is the worn-in nature of them. Yeah. Sometimes that makes it worse for your foot, and sometimes it feels like it's just molded to your foot. I get it. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I haven't really thought about uh, getting rid of my beat-up old runner's because they they just slide right on and they're they're sort of they hug my feet so well, but there's just no support left, and uh, and quite frankly they just they kind of stink. So, so I should get rid of them before they become uh, biohazard. And uh, we also, I mean, we're God, we're getting so much feedback on this. Like Bev says, uh, I have a pair of running shoes that I wear daily on our two walks a day. When I first got them, friends called them my baby booties. As, I, as I'm talking, I have very small feet. They made my feet look smaller. But these <laughs> favorite runners are over 25 years old. Oh, my. Wow. That's, I, this is what I don't understand. You brought up the stink factor. And I think it was uh, Sarah and Cam talking about Birkenstocks and how you have them for years. Don't they eventually start to smell, though? 
I would imagine so. Right. Yeah, I had to get rid of a pair of uh, I think the I think the young people call them slides. You know those so they're not yes. flip flops. They're just yes. those slide on sandals. They are a pair of Adidas. Uh, sandals and uh, once they at some point they just started to stink and there was nothing I could do to eliminate it other than eliminate the shoes. The material just breaks down maybe eventually and starts absorbing the odor and that's it. That's the end of them. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. Biodegrading on your foot as you were walking, they were slowly <laughs> melting back into the earth. Like <laughs> it could be, could be. <laughs> It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In a moment, we want to tell you about something exciting that is coming to the edge of Osborne Village. But a reminder, we're asking you to tell us a story about your shoes, your favorite shoes, the shoes you most coveted for a chance to win yourself. Pretty sweet prize package. If you like golf, we got four CJOB discount golf cards and four green fees for Toulon, which is a great course. What does Henry say? On the subject of shoes, when I played volleyball, I swore I had to wear the certain shoe for grip and lightness to enhance my performance. A Japanese shoe that was a special order in my size. Got them and wore them for years, even though there was pressure on my big Toes, toenails would eventually turn black and come Ugh. off. Time after time, the beds of my toenails are now gone. And Ugh. to this day, I have the ugliest toes and pretty self-conscious when barefoot or wearing sandals. Ugh. That's dedication. That's dedication to the to, to the volleyball there, Henry. Is, is that common for volleyballers? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Never heard of any, any such thing. Wow. It's crazy. I have to stop wearing those Air Jordans that are too small for me now. I have to pass those along. 204-780-6868. Tell us about your shoes for a chance to win that prize package. We'll pick a winner at 915. This next thing we're about to discuss is is very easily becoming one of summer's premier gathering spots. A riverside parking lot adjacent to a curling rink, an obvious spot. For dispensing libation, consuming local fare, and enjoying all sorts of music. And what took so long? Let's ask owner of the beer can, Brad Chute. Good morning, Brad. Hey, good morning. How are you? Doing really well. A little bit of sarcasm in my voice there. Why did it take so long for somebody to realize that the parking lot at the Granite was the per- perfect place to, to gather together by the hundreds? Uh, you know what? I don't know. I guess they... When we thought of it, we had just the right amount of uh, glee from winning a recent curling game and enough beer in our bellies to see see the vision looking out the window from the second floor there. But is that uh, where it was we, born, Brad? Yeah, yeah. Me and my partners are were have been members of the Granite for over ten years now, and we were sitting upstairs looking out and saying, "This would be a really great place for a beer garden in the summer." And it was really just that simple. Um, it was just that one moment of the like light bulb moment went off and we pursued it from there. So with, with the success of this, you know, there, it attracts so many people every summer, but I'm also curious, has there been, what have the downsides, if any, been? Downsides? Um, well, I don't get a lot of sleep and I don't <laughs> get to go on vacation in the summer. So that, that those are downsides, I suppose. But, uh, it, overall it's been pretty positive. I think, uh, it really has been a force for good and, and it's been really life-changing for me and my partner. Well, and in terms of challenges as well, and, and I, I speak to, and we've talked about this before, I think, but I, I live right across the river 
uh, so I can hear what's going on down there. Doesn't bother me. It's just a part of living in the village, but I know that some residents in the, the, the buildings that are right across the way have been not so happy with the noise coming from there. So how do you balance that where you, you provide like a, a happy, fun place, but without driving everyone else crazy? Yeah, that's a fair question. And it's been a concern since day one. Um, like, like you, we, there are neighbors across the road that quite like what we're doing, but we do have some neighbors that aren't happy. And so we have to balance their needs. And so we, we, we're trying to find that balance. I'm not sure we're perfect. I think that that's, that's different for everybody. We do quiet down at 10 o'clock. Um, we're right on the nose. We make sure that there's no more music. Um, we, we kick everyone out pretty early. Um, we've been working with Councillor Sherry Rollins to, to work on this. We're trying to figure out a way to get a sound monitor on one of the buildings so that we can kind of keep real-time check on that. Uh, Sherry's researching some sound dampening material that we could put up. Um, where this is, you know, this has been a real concern, and with with Sherry's help, we're we're really trying to to become better neighbors so that uh, we're not disturbing the folks that uh, that live across the river from us. Yeah, well, that that's what makes a great neighborhood, right? Is, is people who work together uh, for a common good, and and there's give and take in that because not everything appeals to everyone. And so I commend you for working on that. I also know you had a little bit of an issue with regard to. Um, Shall we say, uh, go into the bathroom? I'll just come out and say it. Uh, yeah, like it's, to, to me, it's, depending on who you talk to, it was an issue. I think it's actually a positive. We we ran into, um, the, the requirements changed. I guess the health department was giving um, some exceptions during COVID and they went back to the regular rules afterwards. And so porta-potties were no longer um, permitted, which, so we took the extra step and we actually this year we built a toilet facility there's nine to- well, six toilets and three urinals built into a shipping container that's fully plumbed into the city's sewer and so it should provide a way better experience for everybody so it it, it, it came to us because of these new changing regulations but we're embracing it we think it'll actually provide a really great guest experience for folks we were we were getting feedback from people that porta potties weren't their you know preferred sure thing to use so this should provide a better service for them well these so these sorry loren these shipping containers are, are, are called sea cans for short sometimes so you've come up with a clever marketing uh, terminology here yeah the beer can was the first one and so this one just made sense to call this one the can can <laughs> i love something clever like that because you can go to the can and the can can there's all sorts of fun people are going to have with that i think and at the same time too you're 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 not just uh Adding that, you have um, different food coming. Yeah, that's right. We last couple of years we we tried to do the food ourselves. But we realized that that was just too much for us, uh, and so we partnered with local a couple of local guys who uh, they run a restaurant in South Osborne called Hoagie Boys. And if you haven't been there, they make probably the best sandwiches you've had ever had. Um, and during the pandemic, just like us, like we the beer can formed in the pandemic using an underutilized space. They did the same thing and created Cosmos Space Cowboy Food Cantina in the German club uh, in the North End uh, as a way to take take advantage of that underutilized space. And so they've been looking for a new location, and this was just a good partnership for us. Uh, We get to turn over our kitchen to a couple real pros, and our guests get to enjoy some really great food. 
So when does the beer can open for the fourth season? Well, you know, that's always the trick back here. You asked earlier, what's the challenge? This is the challenge, is trying to get open as quick as possible, but providing notice for our team and training and stuff. But right now we're waiting on a couple um, occupancy inspections from the city, and then the liquor license has to get approved. We're hoping tomorrow. Uh, all signs are positive, but you never know if something might go wrong with, with something along the way. But, yeah, tomorrow is our is our sort of penciled-in date. I think Friday at the latest, everything should be in line. And what are the uh, hours that, that you'll work be working off of in terms of, like, what time do you open, what time do you close? We open at 11, and then we close kind of when it gets cool. We don't we, – we, we hard close at midnight, but sometimes we close a little earlier if, you know, it's chilly and people are leaving. So kind of this season – the end hours change as the season goes on. I'd say 11 is a good bet right now, but then we go to 12 in July and August. All right, Brad Chute from the Beer Can, co-owner of the Beer Can, joining us live on 680 CJOB. And by the way, I was not one of the neighbors who complained about the noise. I quite enjoy it. Uh, it brings some vibrancy and life, and it's just, you know, when I can look down from my balcony and see uh, that parking lot full of people enjoying themselves, that makes me happy. So you won't get any complaints from me. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Come by and we'll have a beer together. Sounds great, indeed, and uh, yeah, the uh, the the first time I went there, I couldn't believe how awesome it was, you know. And they 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 they've got like you can sit on a picnic table, sort of out in the sun, or sit on under an umbrella, or they've got other spots. I think they've got hammocks, Loren. I'm pretty sure they're. You know what? Why don't they all have hammocks? Is he still there? Brad, are you still there? We do have a hammock, and that reminds me, I'm adding it on my to-do list right now to wash the one from last year. It got a little dirty, and we didn't wash it last year. So I'll have it nice and clean for you uh, uh, tomorrow. <laughs> All right. There you go, Loren. You can have a hammock and a Caesar stump, and you're good. I just don't understand why hammocks aren't just everywhere. That's what we should have also asked the uh, city planner for Portage, Maine. They could have hammocks. You could just sit there and watch the traffic go by. And then we're going to talk River and Osborne and about the idea that maybe they might do a pedestrian scramble there. That's one of their ideas. Put a hammock there to watch that happen. Hammocks abound. That should be like a platform for the next person running from air. Pre-pandemic, I think that was one of the art installations down uh, at uh, Broadway and Main Street in the park there. They had that great big giant red hammock. I think you could put about eight or nine people on there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At maximum. So uh, hammocks are always a good thing, uh, but also at the at the beer can, those trees provide such yes. a tremendous amount of shade. Like it is, it is really such a perfect place to spend a couple, three, four, how many ever, ever hours you want to spend down there. And you add the music and the food and, and the people watching it's, it's almost the perfect spot. The beer can WPG.com for more information. You can also find them on social media at the beer can WPG. And uh, Brad mentioned Hoagie Boys as well. Uh, if you want more information on them, you can find them on social media at Dem Hoagie Boys and Boys spelled with a Z. Their social media is hilarious, by the way, and their subs really do look good. I got to get down there. It's not that long and far of a walk down Osborne from where there's, there's just south of the village, from what I understand. So. Get on it, Gary. Yeah, go to the beer can, walk down to Hoagie Boys, walk back to the beer can. Sounds Get like a good summer hammock. day. Get in the hammock. There you if go. If there's just a hammock, man, that must be a coveted thing. Like, you wouldn't want to get out of it. You'd have to get people to bring you things constantly. It'd be like that perfect parking spot in New York City. Yes. Once you get it, you don't give it up. <laughs> yeah, you just keep it there. Keep the car. Don't use it ever again. <laughs> As public consultation on the future of 
Portage in Maine get underway today. Residents living near another popular intersection are mulling a proposal that, in theory, should make it even more friendly to pedestrians. Yeah, you might argue that Portage in Maine is the most unfriendly intersection to pedestrians. And then you go over to River and Osborne and you look at all the people that are moving there and they've got some new ideas in that neighborhood. So they're talking about wider sidewalks, narrower traffic lanes, uh, the possibility of a pedestrian scramble. So that's a system where the traffic signals, they all go red, the cars stop. And at that moment, anyone wanting to cross the street can cross it in any direction, including going diagonally. So that's just one of several ideas in a 54-page report put out by the Osborne Village Biz. At this point, just ideas. Sherry Rollins is the city councillor for the area. That's Fort Rouge, East Force Gary. And she's also on the board of directors for the Biz. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning. How is everybody there? I'm well. I've been texting you with you since early this morning, and you wanted to point out it's more than just a scramble that we're talking about here. But I am going to start with that because, as you know, that's what might catch people's attention. I've used them in Toronto. I think there's at least five or more uh, in Toronto's downtown. Is this really doable at River and Osborne? Well, you're and 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 you you use them in Toronto, Lauren, and as you live and breathe, you're okay. You you had fun at those intersections. I, I thought they were. I actually it made sense to me. A lot of those high you pedestrian. It out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. They 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 make a lot of sense. Um, they're you know they're used in vibrant neighborhoods all across the country, as you point out. And uh, I you know I I grew up in Ottawa, spent a lot of time in Toronto, um, in Montreal. Scramble uh, scramble crossings are um, are the way to go. I think. Councillor, uh, this vision document is outstanding. I've spent some time looking at it this morning. And and obviously, you know, this is just one piece of it. So talk about some of the other things, some of the other ideas uh, for re-energizing, re-envisioning and imagining uh, this part of the city, Osborne Village. It, well, thanks very much. It is a beautiful document produced by the Osborne Village Biz Improvement Zone, uh, funded uh, by the Fort Rougis Fort Gary uh, allocation here in, in uh, the ward I represent. Uh, so d- I directed money to this. It's uh, written uh, by the good people of Scatliff, Miller and Murray, who, uh, Tom Jansen, uh, amazing urbanist, uh, broad thinker. And yeah, it's much more um, than just uh, scramble sorting. It has Big ideas, including um, making sure that it's that, that Osborne Village is vibrant, healthy. Looking at the city's public washroom strategy, how Osborne Village fits in the scramble sort, like you mentioned, uh, many ideas to enhance neighborhood sef- safety and livability, and uh, the romantic, vibrant neighborhood that Winnipeggers know and love. Is this about making Osborne Village that destination versus uh, making it a place that we pass through? Because to me, that's what's been the, become the downfall of Osborne Village. It's a, it's a place that we pass through on our way somewhere else, and it's a, a similar situation to what we're finding uh, at Portage at Maine and, and here in downtown. Uh, I have to disagree. Uh, definitely, um, you know, when I'm hanging out with uh, my daughter's friends uh, who spend a great deal of time partying at the bar district that is still Osborne Village, um, you know, th- they uh, they really reveal what, of course, I felt in my heart uh, my whole life, the romanticism, the dynamism and the nightlife. Um uh, you know they like to they like to boogie still in Osborne Village, and so I I, I do as a local councillor uh, 
you know, I, I want people to go and stay and, and be safe in Osborne Village um, and respect mostly my residents there. And so uh, I, I don't tend to privilege the people who are going through to get to downtown to work or to get where they need to go back home. Um, you know, I don't like that it's a through fare sometimes. Uh, but what I do like is uh, that people still have uh, the romantic attachments like I did uh, when I was courting my husband hard in Osborne Village. And uh, I succeeded, you guys. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, just wanting to go there for dinner, nights out, um, and shop at, uh, um, you know, shop, shop during the day. What sort of pushback do you expect in terms of on things like widening the sidewalks? Because, it, you know, whether or not you live in Osborne Village or you're just cruising through it, it's a bottleneck and it's a busy thoroughfare. So there will be pushback. Well, as you, you may imagine, as a, a second-term counsellor, I have a high degree of tolerance over pushback around summer construction, um, widening sidewalks, still in potholes. I, I, my job, though, is to create a beautiful city. And uh, so, you know, the bumps and bruises you get along the way are just par for the course that way. Sherry, uh, we just have about a minute here, a little less. Does this report go anywhere? Like, these are ideas at this stage, but does it get passed on to City Hall? Like, could it actually be implemented or at least a couple of the ideas? Well, you know, my goal is to get everyone reading it, right? Not only as a, a board member of the biz, uh, but as a local city councillor. So what I get to do is write a motion. And on May 17th, I'll be uh, throwing that motion down for my community committee colleagues. But what I'd like to do is walk it around to every standing policy committee. There's a lot here, as you mentioned, and it's not just for, for instance, the standing policy committee on property development that I chair uh, with respect to secondary plans and urban plan, you know, urban forum. But it's also the one that my council colleague Janice Lukes chairs at Public Works, for instance, the domain of the scramble sort. So I definitely want to do a motion that walks this around to every standing policy committee, gets gets council engaged and show counselors and as a local counselor this is really important really show counselors who what my neighborhood is um, the fine the fine grain of that and uh, and 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 a bit about the priorities and the big ideas and the strategies that uh, there's a, a consensus that we want to employ Jerry Rollins thank you very much for the time much appreciated yeah, thank you. Jerry Rowland, City Councilor for Fort Rouge, East Fort Gary, also on the Board of Directors for the Osborne Village Biz, which is presenting some a bunch of ideas to make some big changes in the village, including a scramble, a pedestrian scramble at Osborne and River. From stabbings at Polo Park to assaults downtown to bear spray attacks, it feels like we are increasingly seeing stories about crimes being committed by teens. Yeah, and this could be 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds as well. I mean, it feels like we're hearing about it more and more. And I know even police said when we talked about the Polo Park stabbing, anecdotally, it certainly seems like we have a younger population increasingly doing bad things. And our next guest works directly with youth in Winnipeg. He's the founder of Inner City Youth Alive. And so from a drop-in centre to recreational programs, the goal is really to provide inner city youth with supports and optimism. Uh, But like many of us, he's increasingly concerned with what he's seen on the streets. So concerned that his organization is considering considering cancelling a party 
that they hold every year, a block party, because there are worries about what could go down there. We're joined now by Kent Duick of Inner City Youth Alive. Kent, thanks for taking the time with us. Glad to be here. I know you're just talking about this change at this moment, but the party still might go ahead. I'm curious, what's just going on? What are you seeing that's, I don't know if it's keeping you up at night, Kent, but what what are you seeing that's making you hit pause on this possible party? Well, we're just seeing uh, a trend of unpredictability. We're, uh, there's, it used to be that you you could sort of, you know, sense kind of what the, what the tone in the community was, but now with, with drugs, the type of drugs flooding into our community, there's an unpredictability to it. And, and so we're having to sort of, uh, you know, plan for for worst case scenarios. And so, uh, you know, if you do an event, we used to be able to do these events, and it was just like one great day of happiness. You'd have 1,500 to 1,800 people on the block, everybody having a wonderful time, bands playing, things for the kids to do. But now we have to think about this this outside possibility that there might be there might be violence. And and so um, so this is uh, this is new. This is new. I mean, it's. It's it's definitely spiked in the last uh, five years for sure. We saw in East St. Paul, Kent, uh, you know, around Halloween, we had saw that party that got out of hand. Hundreds of kids from all over the city made their way to East St. Paul. I can remember back in the in the late '80s, we had a school dance, and it was a school for all schools in in one corner of the city at Daniel Mac back in the day, and it went sideways. There was a stabbing at that at that at that event, and everybody the next day sort of said, "What did we think was going to happen when we brought all these kids from different schools together?" It wasn't a very good idea in retrospect, and that's going back 35 years. So, what are the the challenges, and what are you hearing from youth in advance of this? Are, are, are they telling you that maybe we shouldn't go ahead with this? What, do you, what are they saying to you? Well, I think that, that the general trend is people, you know, people in our community want to celebrate the good that's, that's there, and there's so much good. But we have to also, as, as caregivers and stewards of the youth that, uh, that get connected with us, we have to think about their safety. And so it's kind of on us, and, and I would say as a wider society, it's on us to think about how are we going to resolve these issues. You know, just on, on the point about concentration of crime, right now Winnipeg, the recent stats show that they have 4.4 murders per 100,000, and the North End right now is at 102 per 100,000. So there's a, there's a concentration in, that, in our community right now, and and so, uh, you know, and, and this is like the worst city in the world is Tijuana. They're at 131 per 100,000. So, so uh, it's, I, I'm calling it a little bit of a state of emergency. Um, we see, and, and I'm seeing this personally, I, I recently uh, saw a mom walking down the street almost get hit with a baseball bat over, over a meth house that's been a problem in the community for literally probably 10 years and it cannot get shut down. And so there's this, there's this wild unpredictability. Uh, people are getting uh, arrested and released, arrested and released. And uh, so, so we're seeing we had one, one family. Uh, somebody tried to break in to, to assault them. They called the police. This person was arrested. Three hours later, they returned to complete the assault. And so, so uh, police are, are, are hustling. But when you arrest someone and they get a, they, they've committed a violent crime and they're released immediately, so what you do is you create a pressure in the community. Then, then, you know, what do kids do then? They feel like they have to kind of have their back, watch their back. Can, you can imagine some people might feel like, well, okay, then I need to carry a weapon. 
if we're just continuing to release these violent criminals. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a new day. And, uh, and I've been at this for 37 years, and I, I, see, I haven't seen anything like this before. Ken Duick is with Inner City Youth Alive, and that was a lot to take in there, Ken, first of all. So thank you for sharing those details and those statistics. But you mentioned the um, the meth house that's been there for, you know, that was present for 10 years, and you just can't get it shut down. Why is that? Like, what's the what's the, the holdup? Well, every situation is complex. But again, I think it goes back to uh, maybe in the 90s, you, you had issues with policing, and we would call that out. Uh, not to say that it's flawless now, but at present, we're, we're seeing police doing a good job. But you just can't make charges stick, and it has a lot to do with this Bill C-75 and the fact that uh, maybe maybe uh, people don't understand how to uh, hold these, these uh, small group of repeat violent offenders. Uh, and so... Right now, there's some there's some changes that need to take place with that, so that when police do their job, justice sticks, and we can get people help, and we can remember the victims. And so, yeah, we're just our system. It's just not working, and mm. and politicians are are you know sitting back thinking they have the luxury to you know to to do the long road on this. We need some decisions made. We need actions taken uh, because. In, in, in the community, people are feeling it, and while while people outside the community discuss and debate it. Mm-hmm. That's that's absolutely fair. It's one thing to sit on the outside and say, "Oh, what should we do?" But when you're on the inside, seeing the things that you're seeing and going through the things that some of these young people are going through, you know, we can talk about bail reform, which might make a difference, and and different incarceration rules, Kent. But why, like, why do you think? Why so violent? Why, why why would a 12-year-old be picking up a baseball bat? Why is a 14-year-old carrying a knife to a mall? What's going on? I mean, it's complex, but uh and each one's uh, you know, its own unique set of set of dynamics, but uh pe- kids are just stressed out. They're really stressed out. We see a mental health crisis like we've never seen. Um you know, we can have a drop in with uh, 75 kids in it and and you can have five kids that are like like are actively feeling suicidal and feeling they don't want to live. And so you, you know, staff are drawn to that. So people are, there's just, you know, you have to care for those kids. So there's this high, um, high stress. Kids aren't handling it very well. We're still looking at the results of the pandemic and kind of how that stress of that is, is continues to sort of uh, impact our community. Um, And then, you know, it's social media as well. Like, you know, a lot of times these incidents of violence are being recorded and, and posted as a, you know, kind of a way to get likes. And, and, and so there's that. And there's a lot of things that are kind of creating the conditions. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a pretty desperate situation. Kent Duick, Inner City Youth Alive, joining us. And Kent, we've got to run here, but you've brought up so many impactful points of discussion here. And it feels as though... The kids that that want to take advantage of these programs, kids that want to grow and and to be an active part of the community, are paying a price here, uh, maybe several different ways. That, that that they're sort of victimized for for being for being and wanting to be part of the solution. And I can't help but but stop thinking, uh, you know, keep thinking about that. Yeah, you you nailed it, and that's our challenge. Like when you have five kids that are suicidal. And you have a drop-in full of kids. Those kids get sort of 
you know, neglected. We, we want to do, there's so many good kids in our community that we want to work with. And, and, and there's so many good kids that are going through mental health crises. And so we're torn and, uh, and we're trying to do well by everyone. Um, but, uh, but it, everyone's paying the cost, uh, paying, paying the price for, for what's happening now. So Kent, before we let you go, then are you going to host this inner city block party? There's a few conditions we want to, uh, we're trying to, you know, engage bear clan, engage our, our community policing. We're trying to rethink our volunteer structure, get more volunteers. Uh, it's right now, I put it at 80%. We're going to move ahead with this. Uh, we're still working out dates. Uh, but uh, right now, it's tentatively we're moving forward, um, and but there's there's a few subject twos on it. Kent Duick, Inner City Youth Alive, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Kent, thank you so much for joining us and for giving us a few minutes of your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Here's another M, McDonald's. And if you've been craving it lately, well, today is the day you should go because it's McHappy Day in support of Ronald McDonald House, which gives families a place to stay when a sick child needs hospitalization. And one of our colleagues, Greg, is pitching in to help out. Kevin Bergen, host of Winnipeg Weekends and the Made Ingredient right here on 680 CJOB, joins us now. Kevin, good morning, my friend. Good morning, peeps. How are you? We're doing really well. How are you doing is the question. They put you on the drive-in, and is the lineup all the way on to Roblin Boulevard? Dude, let me tell you. Greg, remember back in the day, back when we used to work at Earl's and we were busy? That's nothing compared to what these guys go through. Like, <laughs> they work. I'm sitting there freaking out, and these guys, they don't even break a sweat. They hand me the food. I hand it to people all nice and, and chatty, and away they go. But, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool back there. Love it. So, Which location are you at, Kevin? I'm at the one, the Charleswood location. And funny enough, as I was working the, 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 the drive through window, I look back and guess who's in line ordering something? Bob Irving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what did he order? Gonna, what did you make him? Uh, he, he, he walked in. I was doing the drive through window. I was going <laughs> to yell out to him, but I was handing someone their coffee at the same time. And I can't multitask that well. So I figured I'd focus on the coffee. <laughs> so when it comes to this day, I mean, uh, it's such a great initiative. What's it all about? Because you were there, you're having fun, but there's a reason. 100%. So obviously, McHappy Day is to, to raise money for Ronald McDonald House. Like there, it's a 29th annual, um, and they're raising money for Ronald McDonald House, which is a home away from home for, for, for Manitobans and out-of-province families to, uh, you know, with, with children that require treatment um, at a nearby hospital. So the important thing is, you know, for people to know is that um, – the, the Ronald McDonald House here in Winnipeg, it's close to HSC, and it just uh, got an expansion in September of 2022. So it um, went from 14 rooms to 40. So it does a really good job in helping families, you know, um, obviously, you know, family support when it comes to uh, uh, chronic or sick children. Has any of the have any of the staff indicated that maybe they're a little busier today, that they are seeing increased traffic from people wanting to support uh, this initiative, Kev? Yeah, you know what? It's, 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 it, they have a, a thing on the board that shows all the different locations and, and where they sit. And, and, and yes, they are, they are busy and people are really positive. They're super positive as far as donations go. The staff here are really positive. They're really nice to me. Like, I don't know anything. And I'm working a, a drive-through window, like being the front face for people who are driving up. And the people that were driving up were really nice. So uh, Rob, the GM, 
Uh, Danielle is from RBC, and RBC is a proud supporter. And Russ Shine is the operations manager. So they came in, and uh, yeah, it was a really good time. But overall, everybody is, uh, they, they managed to do their work, like, diligently. It's amazing how much technology and effort goes into when you, when you tell them what you want at the window to when you drive up, and, and or sorry, at the, at the, at the mic, um, when you tell them what you want and you get to the drive-thru window how much actually takes place to get you your food. It's crazy, man. Well, I'll, I, never, I'll never complain about, you know, fast food or getting something wrong because it's a lot. Kevin Bergen, host of Winnipeg Weekends and the main ingredient on 680 CJOB. Thanks for joining us and thanks for putting in a couple hours to help out. on a happy day. No, thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Winnipeg Weekends, Saturdays and Sundays, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. The main ingredient, Saturdays at 4 p.m., Sundays at 5 p.m. And you can find more information on Mr. Bergen at mainingredient.ca. And again, McHappy Day, uh, supporting Ronald McDonald House today at All McDonald's. Did I say 25 both days? I think it's 24 tomorrow, 25 Friday. Ah, whatever. Just want to make it right. It is time to give away. (laughs) What, just say whatever? Yeah, like it's terrific. Tomorrow, terrific. Friday, terrific. (laughs) Well, we have a terrific prize package to give away. (laughs) Four green fees for Toulon, which is an awesome golf course. They work so hard. They've got some of the best fairways in southern Manitoba. Mm -hmm. And four CJOB discount golf cards, which if you're a golfer, you have to have one of these things if you like to play multiple courses. And we're asking you today, we're talking about shoes, because in our next half hour, we're talking foot health with Canadian footwear. And speaking of Canadian footwear, Greg, one of our runners-up, Pete, got his boots from there. Yeah, Pete says silicone spray works wonders on extending the life of any pair of shoes. I use the spray twice a year in the spring and late fall. I have a pair of cats that I purchased at Canadian Footwear over 20 years ago for work. Still use them for snow blowing and large job around the house. Great boots, cats. 20 years and Maureen, and Loren, Maureen has uh, one where her shoes are twice as old. I bought these Swedish-made wooden clogs in Minnesota 45 years ago. The sole is wood and the uppers are leather. So comfortable and still in great condition. That's crazy. Maybe wood doesn't hold a, a scent. Like a... <laughs> doesn't like a hold your foot stink. stink. Yeah. <laughs> the Dutch like know a, what they're up to. They know what if, they're doing. If you use a special like varnish, like for your deck, it repels the stink. You know? Like the rain. <laughs> Kristen, we had a couple of people mention this kind of shoe. I've never heard of these, but Kristen says, UFOs. I hope I'm saying that right. What a fun, I I just want to get these because it's fun. UFOs, recovery footwear saved my career. I was on my feet a lot, running around in steel toe shoes for 15 plus years. It takes a toll, and I developed a debilitating case of plantar fasciitis. I tried all the home remedies, the pain control, nothing helped until one day I saw a display at the mall. Just wearing a pair of these magical UFO sandals around the house changed everything. I told my coworkers about them. We're all hooked. I don't know what sorcery is behind the UFOM technology, but I am a customer for life. So that sounds like a good option if you need some comfy, supportive sandals. But Loren, Todd takes the cake. Okay, so Todd says, When I was a kid, all I ever wanted was a pair of moon shoes. I'm not sure if you remember what they were, but basically they were toys that strapped to your feet and acted as trampolines to bounce (laughs) on. I bugged my parents all the time, get me a pair. And when they finally did... 
They were the most disappointing toy you could possibly imagine. Not only could you not bounce around like you're walking on the moon, the amount of times I rolled my ankle trying to use these things forced me in the end to donate them away and never speak of them again until now. Todd, that is a great story. I'm trying to see if anyone sued the makers of Moon Boots. They sound dangerous. Yeah, I'm just looking at them right now. It, 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 like you, looks like if you taped uh, res, like one of those blue recycling bins to the bottom of your foot, that's kind of the equivalent. It's just walking on a couple of boxes, from what I can tell. Yeah, there's some sort of uh, collapsible rubber or yeah. not? I don't. I, <laughs> d- yeah, was, somebody mentioned sorcery. This is this is mini trampolines for your feet. I don't think so. <laughs> Todd, you win the four green fees for Toulon. Enjoy yourself there, and the four CJOB discount golf cards. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And thank you for telling us all the great stories about your favorite shoes. We've had a lot of fun talking about shoes today. And the reason we've been talking about shoes, as is often the case, we're about to discuss something that just sort of sprung up out of one of our casual conversations off the air. I was lamenting that my right foot hurts to Greg. I was telling him, you know, all my shoes are dead, basically, all of them. I haven't bought new shoes outside of golf shoes. <laughs> Since the before times, it was a pair of uh, New Balance runners I got at Canadian Footwear on Adelaide, and I've worn them out, and now my foot hurts. So Greg asked where it hurts, and I told him kind of along the right side of my right foot, and I explained that I am an oversupinator. And he says, what the heck is that? So we suddenly have all sorts of questions about foot health, Greg. Yeah, so I thought I was a pedorthist uh, until you used over supinator, and then I had to defer and say, I have no idea what you're talking about. We need to find an expert. So that's what we've done. Brian Sharfstein is co-owner of Canadian Footwear, uh, CFW, and Foot Health Centers, and is a certified pedorthist. Good morning, Brian. Nice to see you in our studio. Good morning. Well, as I said, I've been watching you on TV since I was a little kid. You've been, you know, advertising uh, your your incredible store, which uh, I can't imagine any Winnipegger has never been to. How how long have has footwear been a, a part of your life? Uh, Canadian footwear has been on our family for ninety years this year. Wow! Um, I've been actively involved uh, for fifty eight years, um, and been downtown and seen its decline and its growth over everything that's gone on uh, for my lifetime. I know you're dedicated to the downtown, which is another conversation we could have another day with you. But one of the topics of conversation that was born out of Brett and uh, my back and forth, was it yesterday or the day before? I I guess it was just yesterday. Yesterday, Was the idea, I said, Brett, I, I... have I ever said out loud, I don't think you're supposed to ever wear the same pair of shoes on back-to-back days. And then I Googled it, and there seems to be some research or consensus on that. So, Brian, that's my first question to you. Should I ever be wearing the same pair of shoes one day to the next? You can, but what you need to do is uh, take the insoles out every night when you get home. Let them dry out because the moisture will stay in there for a good day and you're putting your foot back into a damp cavity the next day if you put in uh, your foot back in there. So you can wear them, uh, but we also talk about socks as well. Some people wear the same pair of socks two, three days in a row. I don't know if I know anyone who takes their insoles out. So that's a new learning step for me, uh, Brian. And, And I'm wondering, you know, as you talk about just how long you've been at this and you've certainly seen 
footwear trends come and go. What have you seen when it comes to foot pain? Because I know peak pandemic, there were some of us that talked about feeling like our feet just hurt more. And I surmised it was because I was working from home and wearing, not wearing shoes as much. And so now out of that, I'm just wearing the same old shoes. What are you hearing from clients? Uh, things haven't changed a lot. We're, we're hearing that people have sore feet and certainly that comes with uh, wearing the wrong shoes. Uh, but people... Uh, from the time pandemic started, a lot more outdoor walking, a lot more people doing a lot more walking, and that's created a problem. And most people don't connect with their shoes and their feet and understand why uh, why one foot hurts, not the other. Uh, uh, this is We've seen a lot more of it in the last few years. When you talk about wearing the wrong shoes, how do we know what shoe is right for us? Well, what's important is to understand, uh, uh, as our folks are taught at Canadian Footwear, the anatomy of the foot and the anatomy of a shoe have to work together. The right shoe means that it has the features and benefits to support your heels, your ankles, your knees, your hips, your pelvic bone. Uh, That's what we do. Uh, Even our frontline people will watch you walk in your stocking feet or in an old shoe um, it, it's always interesting. Um, I know as a family, if we've ever been in airports or we're in the park and we're watching people walk, you can tell who's a runner, who's a walker. And you go, oh my goodness. We watched the walk, uh, I think it was the police walk, the half marathon on Sunday. And uh, so we uh, went out to support and I was amazed at the poor footwear that some people were wearing that were in fact oversupinating and overpronating and all the footwear that they were, were using just exacerbated, made it much worse. Okay, so that translates and, and maybe transitions into the question about what is supination, what is pronation? Did I say those correctly? You're pretty close, as good as you have to say them. Pronation and supination are what we call the actions of the foot. Um, our bodies work on uh, uh, two uh, axes. So when you rotate your head, your arms, your legs, your knees, they move in one direction. The foot is the only part of the body that works on all three planes at the same time. So the function of the foot is to absorb shock, to provide balance, and to propel the foot. So you've got three important things the foot has to do. So when that foot lands on the ground, most people land on the outside of their foot And when they roll out and they hit the base of the smallest toe, the back end, uh, that is when things lock. That's called supination. Supination has to do with rolling out. Um, Some people who have a high arch, a rigid foot will stay in what we call a supinatory position. But then the foot has to absorb the shock and it rolls into pronation. So the foot basically will roll over what we call the metatarsal heads. It locks, and that is called pronation. If you don't pronate and if you don't supinate, you have a problem. So people will say, I'm a supinator. Well, that's healthy. Pronating is healthy. It's if you oversupinate or if you overpronate, that's when you start to have the chain reaction up the body that will affect your knees, your lower back, and all your mobility. So how do I know then? Because I, it, when, when I'm listening to this, there's days where your feet hurt just because it's been a long day, right? You've been standing them on them for a long time. You, maybe you did a lot of activity or run or what have you. And the next day you feel fine. And then there's those chronic problems. How, can, how do I tell the difference between just a long, heavy day and, oh, you have a foot issue? Hard to tell the difference. I mean, suddenly I think that certain parts of the population, myself included, more seniors will wake up in the morning and go, why does my foot hurt? What did I do yesterday that caused me a foot problem? I know that if I'm on my feet all day long and wearing the wrong shoes, or if I'm 
in my kitchen and I'm in my bare feet, which I'm only good for about five minutes. And if I don't have the support, um, I will feel it in my knees. I'll feel it in my hips. I'm more aware because I understand the anatomy. But for to answer your question, um, it's hard to tell the difference. Uh, and, and the key really is to put the right shoe on. Example I'll give you, uh, one of my son-in-laws is a doctor and he runs and he came in for a pair of orthotics the other day because when he runs, he has sore feet. After we did our assessment with him, we determined there was nothing wrong except he was wearing dead shoes. Mm. So when he was running. And so I said to him, tell me, how long have you had these runners? He said, only about five or six years. So I took, <laughs> put okay. a brand, we assessed what his needs were. We put him into a new pair of uh, 840 uh, New Balance shoes. Uh, the next day at the end of the day, he called me and he said, I had the most amazing run I have had in years. And two days later, he said, I've now done two or three runs. This is amazing. I didn't need orthotics. I just needed new shoes. And he's a doctor. And he's a doctor. <laughs> he's an emergency trauma room doctor who is seeing people who come in and complain about sore knees, sore feet. What do I do? So in many cases, and you need to understand that uh, the shoes, even though your shoe may still look good, I would say your average is about three up to about 500 hours on a shoe and they're done. So uh, uh, we lose the consistency of shock absorption in the sole. You may not be able to see it. The shoe may look good, but the reality is the shoe is dying or it's dead. So with, as I mentioned, I think I'm an oversupinator. Just I can tell from looking at the bottom of my shoe, it's always the right sort of upper corner that wears out uh, before anything else. And he's got a, he brought some props with him. He's showing me the, the, oh, what are you pointing? You're pointing at the, the, the heel. I'm pointing at the back of the heel on the outside. So this is the back door on your, on a right foot. It'd be the right side. It's where most people land on the outside. Yep. That's normal. People will show me their shoe and say, well, it's worn out here. That's normal. It's when it goes too far, you have to compensate and go too much in the other direction. So if you are an oversupinator, you are going to put pressure on the inside of your knee. You're going to put pressure on the hips, on the lower part of your body. You're going to have problems. Okay. So how do I get that assessed? Or they, and, and, and potentially maybe or how do I determine if I need orthotics? Uh, you need to certainly, if you're going to see a podorthist, you can certainly reach out to us, make an appointment, get an assessment. You can come into the store, uh, bring your old shoes with you, let us watch you walk, and we will give you an opinion. We will also put you into a new pair, and you will immediately see the difference. In our downtown location, we have a gate track in our clinic where we can put you into new shoes and watch you run and walk back and forth, and you will see a distinct difference. And we don't select a shoe because you're an oversupinator, an overpronator. We're looking at the whole body. That's the real difference. We're looking at shoulder movement, arm movement. We're looking at all that stuff. So, Brett, maybe your knee issue is a shoe issue, Yeah, you know, at the end of the day. And and so it, it, can it be that simple, simple sometimes, Brian, the idea that, you know, we, we think we have a problem. That's one thing when really it's what we're standing on, what we're walking in, what we're running on. Without a question, it's your foundation. Without a question, that's the perfect place to start. Think in terms of depending on the pathologies. We, have, we treat a lot of people with diabetes, arthritis, a whole bunch of different things. But we know that shoes are good for a year. Now, in some cases, if you asked me how many pairs of shoes I have... Um, there's probably about six or eight pair that I rotate. What I wear in the kitchen uh, is different than all I wear in the yard when I go outside walking or indoors. Is is wearing shoes in the house or something on your feet in your eyes 
mandatory? Should we all be wearing something Absolutely. on our feet in the house? Absolutely. I take off my New Balance outdoor and I put on a pair of, the, of indoor. Um, Mr. Our, Rogers style. Yeah. And we were we taught our children, as they are to their children, that wearing footwear in the house is key. Most foot injuries and common foot problems happen in the house. That's what we see in the hospitals. So where you do a lot of damage is in the house in bare feet. Feels good on a cool, you know, if you're standing on a cool tile floor, but wearing proper shoes in the house. And I'm not just talking about a pair of, uh, of moccasins or a pair of uh, flip-flops. Unless, in fact, you are wearing something. We have a product that I brought that's called UFOs. These are called recovery sandals. These are designed to give you alignment. It's These a- are the ones that listener mentioned, yeah. I think, right? Yeah. yeah. Fabulous product. Fabulous product. A number of places carry them. Uh, they last a long time, uh, but certainly I would not go anywhere, travel anywhere, do anything without my UFOs. Absolutely crucial. Uh, so wearing in the house is important. Um, I happen to have one particular style of New Balance that's worked for me for years, and that is their Heritage original shoe that they designed called the 990. It's not changed. It's made in America. It works for me. I've tried different models. That is their oldest shoe. Their newest shoe they've come out with is called an 840. Their 840 shoe has something called a rocker sole in it, which, in fact, works for supinators and pronators because with a rocker sole, it takes the pressure off your knees. It aligns your lower back. So Pedorthus work with the engineers to design and upgrade stuff. We, I, I could talk to you for another 45 minutes on this stuff. I have so many questions, but the clock rules all. So I will simply say CanadianFootwear.com, and I will be seeing you at 128 Adelaide Street soon because I desperately need new shoes. Brian Sharfstein, thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. Thanks for the opportunity. Brian Sharfstein, once again from Canadian Footwear and Foot Health Centres and is a certified pet orthist.